Hey there, educational rock stars. Are you feeling overwhelmed with lesson planning for your English language learners? Well, I've got some exciting news for you. Introducing our upcoming free webinar, Simplify Your Approach, Three Time-Saving Routines for ELL Success. Join me for a power-packed 45 minutes that's set to revolutionize your teaching strategy. In this webinar, we'll dive into three practical, easy-to-implement routines that will not only enhance your ELL teaching methods, but also save you hours of planning time. Yes, hours. So whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, these insights are tailored to help everyone make the most of their teaching time. Plus, you'll leave this webinar ready to implement these routines the next day. So mark your calendars for our two upcoming dates. I don't want you to miss this opportunity to transform your ELL lesson planning. To reserve your spot, simply sign up at www.equippingells.com slash routines. Trust me, your future self will thank you for it. I'll see you at the webinar. Teaching ELL students is a privilege and a joy. Is it easy? No way. But with the right support, you can feel empowered to tackle each day with ease and confidence. I'm your host, Beth Fauché, founder of Inspiring Young Learners. With over 10 years of teaching both nationally and internationally, I know what it takes to ensure that your ELL students have what they need to thrive today, tomorrow, and for life. I'm on a mission to empower you to equip your English language learners. Welcome to Equipping ELLs. Let's get to today's episode. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Equipping ELLs podcast. We are continuing our series on small steps to success for ELLs. And today's episode, we're going to be taking a closer look at the different types of models and programs that are commonly used when supporting English language learners in school. Before we dive in, I want to give a quick shout out to Sydney White and a huge thank you for leaving such a kind review on Apple Podcasts. Sydney says, I'm not someone who likes to listen to podcasts, but I've gotten into the habit of listening to equipping ELLs while I'm working on other small tasks during the day. I almost always have to stop what I'm doing to jot down a note on something that was said because every episode contains practical and useful ideas for working with ELL students. I am a coordinator for the English department at a school in the Dominican Republic, so I also get to share my new knowledge with my team of teachers. 10 out of 10 recommend this podcast to anyone working with ELL students. Thanks again, Sydney, for taking the time to write such a wonderful review. Wonderful to have an international community of passionate teachers here listening to the podcast. Like I said, today we're going to dive into the different models that are commonly used when it comes to supporting English language learners. We are going to begin with the least inclusive to the most inclusive, and I'm going to cover five different models. As I'm going through them, think about the model that you do in your school, whether you like it, don't like it. And at the end, we'll share some tips and tricks and my belief of what is the best model to use. Let's dive in. The first model that you might be seeing in schools is an English immersion model. So this is where your students might be completely pulled out. They might be separated and focus only on learning English. 
Now, I know some programs have maybe like a newcomer center where they're pulled out. They go to a classroom where it's just other newcomers. And like I said, their their main focus is learning English. There is a time and a place for this. I do think giving your newcomers that support outside of the homeroom classroom can be helpful for them so that they build a foundation without the stress of being in a homeroom classroom where the teacher the rest of the day is not really supporting them at that level of language development. So I've seen where this can be a really positive thing. You've heard, I've heard it as well, that immersion is the best way to learn a language. There is some point to that, I agree, but how can it be done in the right way? I have a minor in Spanish. I I have my transitional bilingual certificate where I could teach Spanish. I took 10 years of Spanish in the States, and I really didn't learn Spanish until I came and moved abroad. And through immersion, through opportunities and situations where I was forced to speak it, I did improve quite rapidly compared to the years that I took when I was in the States. So in that sense, yes, I can see immersion is something that's going to help. But these students are in surrounded areas where they're going to be speaking, they're going to have opportunities to speak English and practice their English. and so. An English immersion program might limit them in only being with other newcomers or with only focusing on learning English and not bringing in their native language to help support their learning of English. So those are some of the downfalls of having an English immersion class. Sometimes the content instruction, it just might be watered down. It might not push them as academically as if they were in the homeroom classroom and getting support that way. Those are some things to take into consideration if you're doing an English immersion model. I do think there's a time and place for that, but I think as soon as you can get newcomers into a homeroom classroom, a grade level classroom with their native speaking peers, I think that that is beneficial. The second model is a push-in, pull-out model. Okay, this is a very common model. This has been kind of the style for a very long time. And in the last couple of years, I would say there's more stigma around this type of model and a lot of schools coming away from this and wanting to really focus on only push-in, not pulling out the kids at all. So let's talk about this model. So this is where you'll have your ESL students in the homeroom classroom or in a content classroom, and then the ESL teacher will come in to push in and to support in the classroom, and then to also at other times possibly pull out some students to support outside of the classroom. This is great because the students get most of their day spent with native speakers, with their peers that are the same grade level, and they get that content of their grade level instruction. Those are great things. I think the stigma around wanting to do everything in the classroom, that's not always done well. If you don't have the space or you don't have the time to plan to really do that well, to support the student how they need in the homeroom classroom, it can leave the students lacking some major areas that they need extra help in. And I think that's what can be a beautiful thing with a pullout model as well to do those together. In a pull-out session, the ESL teacher can really focus in on those foundational language skills that that group of students needs in order to continue to unlock the language through all different areas of content. So I do believe that can be a very positive model. The teacher's coming in and providing that extra support with content that's being learned in the classroom, but then also having that opportunity to do very specific, explicit instruction whether that be on vocabulary or grammar, speaking skills, 
all of those foundational English skills that are vital to growth and to understanding content that can really be done well in a small group pullout session. If you're doing this model, I know some of you I've, I've spoken with many people in equipping LLs who are just saying, yeah, we're not supposed to do this anymore. We're not supposed to pull out. We need to keep them in the classroom all the time. And unless that's really set up well so that you're seeing your students flourish that way, I would advocate still for some pullout sessions when you see the need, when you can really support them and maybe go a little slower in areas like writing where they, they just need that additional support. They need more visuals. They need a quieter space to work. They can do that better with three or four other students in a small group than with you helping in the whole classroom. There's a lot of different reasons why a pullout group is necessary and is successful. This is a great way to be able to support your ELLs, both in the classroom and in pulled out sessions. It might get a little more difficult with secondary students because those students aren't in the same class all day. So you want to be very specific on the times you do pull them so that they're not missing their content classes. So scheduling with that might be more difficult than in an elementary classroom. Let's keep moving on. Another model is a sheltered immersion model. This is really focusing on teaching the language and content instruction in tandem and really integrating that. All teachers are providing the opportunity to learn language and content together. The beautiful thing about this is that all teachers are really held accountable for planning lessons that are bringing in the language component. It's not just put on the shoulders of the ESL teacher. Um, It's also beautiful to see the ESL students learning alongside their native speaking peers. There is a lot of opportunities to incorporate their L1 and to really just allow that learning to happen naturally in a way that helps support all languages and cultures inside the homeroom classroom. And so this also could look like co-teaching. Co-teaching has shown a lot of success when schools are doing it correctly. So co-teaching is very powerful. I I stand behind co-teaching. I just am weary of schools who want to implement co-teaching without providing the teachers the time to plan and to really be on the same page because that's what needs to happen for successful co-teaching is for there to be that mutual respect and for each teacher to be able to be in the classroom and expressing and teaching through their gifting. So bringing in that language support and bring in that content support so that that's where you're going to have success. And we're going to talk about that a little bit at the end of some limitations to the success of co-teaching. Another way to kind of look at this, if you want to go more in depth on this sheltered immersion, is to take a look at SIOP. SIOP is Sheltered Instruction Observation Protocol. It is a research-based model that really helps to address the needs of English language learners. There's eight components that goes into this model of teaching. And this is where all homeroom teachers can be trained in this. I was trained in this when I was in the States. And it really does help you walk through all your lessons to see, are you including essential pieces and components that English language learners need? And the beautiful thing is when you do that, all your students are going to succeed. So the components of a typical SIAP model is lesson preparation, building background, comprehensible input, strategies, interaction, practice and application, lesson delivery, and review and assessment. Think through that list of eight. Is there any that a monolingual student wouldn't benefit from? No, all of those would be so beneficial to all the students in the class. So 
That's the beauty of a sheltered immersion is that the responsibility of teaching language and content together is on the shoulders of each teacher. It's expected and it helps you walk through and plan your lessons so that your ELLs are getting the support they need, but you're going to see that all your students are really benefiting from this more in-depth way of looking at the components of your lesson. All right, let's move on to a transitional bilingual model. When I was teaching in the suburbs of Chicago, we had bilingual classrooms. And we had, when the students came in in kindergarten, they were in a full bilingual classroom, almost 100% Spanish-speaking. When they moved into first grade, and they were all Spanish-speaking. When they moved on to first grade, they would then lessen the Spanish and increase the English. So maybe it would be 75% Spanish, 25% English. When they got to second grade, they would try to have a model of about 50% English, 50% Spanish. And by third grade, they were then put into a monolingual homeroom classroom. There are studies that show the stronger a student's native language is, the easier they will have to transfer over to a second language. So the whole idea was with these group of Spanish-speaking students, if they could strengthen and build their native language first, then by the time they get to third grade, they could transfer over and learn English easier. I understand that model. It could work. But what I saw in this situation was that they did not provide enough time to really do this model well. They started and they tried to give the students a foundation in in Spanish. But by third grade, that's only three years that they've had some skills done in Spanish. It was not enough time. And what I saw happening was that when students got into third grade who were in the bilingual program, they really struggled. They really did not have that firm foundation in Spanish, and they lacked so many of those key areas that they needed in English now that they were going forward in all English. And so a lot of those students, I saw them up to sixth grade, really struggled because they didn't have any identity with either language. And it really was a setback for them. So this program could work, but having all same native language peers could be detrimental for them because they're not engaging with native speakers. And that's what we're going to get into the next model. But that was a setback, I think, for them. And then also because they really didn't have the time that it took to build the foundation before they transferred over. And so that's what you have to look at your program. I hear that question a lot. I have a newcomer you know, should I be speaking all in this in their native language if I can, or should I provide all the materials in their native language? And the answer really is no. It's not, that's not your job unless you are in a bilingual model, a transitional bilingual model. That's not your job to do that. And if you're not going to really spend the time to support them in their native language like that, then it's not worth it for you really go towards the sheltered immersion approach, providing the scaffolds and support so that they unlock the language of English. If your school is one that does transitional bilingual, then yes, give them the the time to learn in Spanish or whatever the second language is, if you're going to give them the time to do that. If you have a student who, let's say, he's a fifth grader, and you do a quick test in an, an assessment in Spanish, if that's their native language, and you see that they are proficient in Spanish. They can read and write in Spanish. They're very strong in Spanish. That might be a student that you do want to use some of their native language to help support 
what you're doing in English, because if they're already strong in their native language, then they will be able to transfer. They will be able to have that connection being made as they learn English. If you have a fifth grader that comes in and they are not able to read in their native language, it's not worth it for you to try to support them with that. It's not going to be beneficial to them. So could you support with vocabulary in their native language? Yes. But for a student, a fifth grader who's proficient in their native language, you might want to give a reading passage first in their native language since they can read it and comprehend it and then give it to the same reading passage in English. That might be a really good activity for that student who is proficient in their native language. For a student who's not, I would just model and scaffold that reading passage in English first and not provide that support in their native language. So that's our transitional bilingual, which brings us to our last program and is, in my opinion, the best, (laughs) and that's a dual language program. So what's different about this compared to our transitional bilingual is in transitional bilingual, all the students are the same. They speak the same first language and they're all learning English. In a dual language program, half your class speaks one language, half your class speaks the other language. So the beauty of this type of program is that it creates an even playing field for all the students. I mean, just think of how powerful that is. Instead of this idea that you need to learn English to be smart or you need to learn English to show that you know something or you're not as great as I am because you don't know English. We might not say those things, but is that a sentiment that's happening in your school? If we honestly reflect about that in a dual language program, you have English speaking students who are now at a place where they're vulnerable. They're, they're afraid they have to learn a new language and they don't know it. And it puts them in a place where they feel what it feels like for our ELL students. And it gives our ELL students an opportunity to be confident and to enjoy this opportunity each day to use their native language. And so I love that it creates empathy for each student learning the opposite language. And I have seen the difference in the climate of a classroom when a dual language model is used. Both my daughters go to a school that is dual language. They have one full-time teacher in the classroom that's English speaking and one full-time teacher in the classroom that's Spanish speaking. And so throughout the day, they switch in different subjects and into the different languages. So one day they'll do a math in English and the next day they'll do the same lesson in Spanish. So it's a very fascinating model, but it's very intriguing to see how her class, which is about probably 70% first language Spanish speakers and 30% first language English, how they just have this respect and connection with one another as they are either in their confidence and like performing in their first language or they're, they're not, and they're practicing. And that's what I love. My daughter was telling me the other day, I said, Oh, is this, how's the student doing on learning English? Oh, he's doing great. He's practicing English. And she said, and I'm practicing Spanish. And it's just this mutual respect that, oh, I don't know this language as well as he is, but he's helping me and I know English really well and I'm helping him. And it was a really powerful moment to just see this appreciation they had for each other and their strengths. And so I absolutely love dual language. I think it's where hopefully people will be heading. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful mindset and beautiful program. Let's talk about why some of these programs might not be the best fit for you. Because at the end of the day, you need to look at your school. You need to look at your student population. You need to look at your administration and see what are they 
enforcing what is their their model that they're going for because sometimes we just can't change it when we're being forced to teach one way or another. Some reasons why you might not be able to do some of these models. One is budget. Dual language does cost. There is a budget piece to it and there's a lot of decisions made based on that. So maybe your school just doesn't have the capacity to do that this year, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't keep talking about it and seeing if it's feasible. Also the number of students, maybe you don't have that that big of group of students where you can have a 50-50 class of two different languages. As you look at these other things, whether it's co-teaching or sheltered immersion or push and pull out, some other things that you want to consider is the time that it's going to take to do this program well, to do this model. Are you going to give enough time for your students to fully accomplish the goal? So like I said, with that transitional bilingual, it really did not, in my opinion, do what it was meant to do. And could it have? Yes. But I think in education, a lot of times we like to think that this will be a quick fix and we'd like to do it fast. And a lot of these things take time. Also think about, do you have the time that it takes to do things like co-teaching? Do you have a common plan time? Will your administrator give you a common plan time? These models work, but you need to have the opportunity to connect and plan before you start to teach together. That's a huge piece to that. So if you're interested in co-teaching and you would like to incorporate that more, here are my tips for you. One, find one teacher that you have a common plan time with and that is interested in also working on co-teaching and start there. Don't try to do it with all the teachers that you're working with, all the grade levels you're working with. If you don't have a common plan time, think for next year and see if you can advocate for that. Because it is powerful when those students in the homeroom classroom get the language teacher support alongside content. So see if you can look into the next year and say, you know, I would, I really need a common plan time with this group of teachers so that we can begin to incorporate more co-teaching. This is what our students need. This is what works. Next week, my guest Leslie is coming on to share more about co-teaching Because in New York, where she is, it is mandatory that you co-teach. And so she has a lot of great advice on how to successfully get that set up and make it work. The other thing to think about is your caseload. If you are serving 50, 75, 100 students, which I know some of you are, I see you, I hear you, (laughs) you can only do so much. So like I've mentioned before, you have to give yourself grace. Is this, if this is what the school is putting on your plate this year, do the best you can with that. But look ahead to next year. See it different ways that maybe you still do the same model and approach that your school's doing, but maybe you can advocate to group your students differently. So maybe instead of by grade level, you can group your students by language level, and maybe that will help free up your time to be able to better support your students. So just start to reflect as we get into the next couple months of this school year. And maybe you can't make changes right now, but remember, take those small steps. Maybe just going and having a conversation with your administrator about some of the benefits of doing co-teaching or doing some sheltered immersion training in your school. Those are small steps that can really make a big difference. Now, I'd love to hear from you. And I love hearing what approach your school's using, whether you like it, whether you don't. If I missed one, let me know. Send me a message on Instagram at equipping ELLs or send me an email and let's chat about 
what your school looks like, and if we can help you support your English language learners. Like I said before, next week's episode is all about co-teaching. So if that's an area that you would like to get better at this upcoming school year, and even for the rest of this year, make sure to tune in for next week's episode. Thank you for joining me in today's episode. All links and resources mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you're looking for even more support and done-for-you resources created specifically for the needs of ELLs, head to inspiringyounglearners.com. I'll catch you here next week. Until then, take that next step to keep equipping your ELLs.